Do you know the, the best preaching that Jesus did and most of the moments of teaching that Jesus gave were moments explaining what they just saw. When the apostles went out and preached the gospel, the first ones to go around the world and preach the gospel, they didn't always just stand up and preach the entire story of Jesus and salvation that way. They explained the miracle that just happened in front of their eyes, and that became the message. The miracle is the message. The, the word that the Lord gave me to share with you today is what it means to be saved to the uttermost. Because we've taken the word salvation and we've reduced it to, well, I got my ticket to paradise now. I'm going to live forever. I prayed the sinner's prayer and now I'll just go on with life as if, you know, that was great. And, and not the most amazing thing that could possibly happen to a human being. Now, I've got good news for you. The, the day that you were born again, God was just saying, hey, I'm just getting started. We, we are this moment. How many of you can remember the moment that you first surrendered your life to the Lord? I urge you to make sure that you become a master of telling your own story of how you came to Christ. What was it that drew you to him? What happened in that moment when Jesus became so enticing to you that you were willing to say, you are the Lord of my life. My life belongs to you from now and forevermore. Remember that moment, master that story so that you can share with anybody, anytime who may ask you some form of the question, so why do you believe in Jesus? Why is it that you have this hope? Why do you believe you got eternal? Whatever the question is, that you're prepared to share that story. One of the most amazing things to me is I read through the New Testament and two thirds of the New Testament written by the Apostle Paul was that after he came to this understanding of the new covenant, that nobody alive, not even the disciples, got initially. Paul was the one who just sort of, he put it all together and he wrote masterfully all the joy of this new covenant of love made by Christ, the, the Son and the Father. And, and he explained it so well. And yet, when he was face to face with somebody, whether it be a Roman governor or a crowd of people or somebody who asked, always he would go back and say, let me tell you about this time that I was on this road on my way to Damascus with letters to kill the church. And Jesus showed up in my life that day, knocked me off my high horse, and he transformed me into a new man. And that's why I'm preaching to you today. Always till his dying breath, the most intelligent, well-versed theologian of all time always went back to that first encounter he had with Jesus. Remember that moment, treasure it. Go back to it as often as possible. In fact, I, I encourage you, when you take communion, which I hope you do apart from the times that we do it here corporately, when you do that, go back in your mind's eye to that moment and remember it. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. It means a lot of things. But what it means most of all is remember the time that we became real with each other, that we had this encounter. You became born again, made into a brand new creation in Christ. Never forget that moment. That being said, he was just getting started. He didn't save us and then leave us like he found us. He didn't deliver us from the power of darkness just so that someday in heaven we'll have eternal life. Somebody prayed this morning. I think it was Patty prayed. Um, or, I don't know. It was a man. Somebody standing right over here <laughs> prayed about how oh, it was Wayne. That's why I confused you with Patty. <laughs> you know how that goes. Um, blessed be the God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has caused us to be born again to a living hope 
by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead to an inheritance pure and undefiled, and here it is, which is reserved in heaven for you. Now, how many of you upon hearing that and hearing some of the promises of Jesus think, well, that means when I get to heaven, then I get to have all these promises that I've been waiting for all my life. And in the meanwhile, I'll just have to live with this hanging on sin and this addiction and this pain in my body and this heartache in my heart. I'm just going to have to learn to live with that. But one day when I die, everything will be made perfect again. I want to tell you that is the, the craziest thing that a person could ever believe. And yet, most of us in Christianity today live that way. When it says reserved in heaven for you, how many of you have a bank account? The rest of you, we need to pray for like, for like a job or something like that. Or, or you just don't like raising your hand. I know, I know you people. I have money in the bank. We all have money in the bank, right? It's being, there is cash being reserved for us in a bank. At least I hope to have cash to back up what I have in that bank account, but I'm not going there today. It's a a good day. If that money is in the bank, there is cash to back it up, but that money means nothing if we have to pay bills and we have needs in our life unless we go and withdraw the money from the bank. That's what reserved in heaven, the treasure reserved in heaven for us. It's like a bank account, and it only matters if we do our part to withdraw the money. The bank account has been filled. That cross filled our bank account with everything that we need for life and godliness. There's not a thing that was missing from that cross. When Jesus said, it is finished, he meant I took it all now. I finished gathering into my body every curse of sin. It's all in me now. It is finished means, for one thing, he was saying to all that, you're done for. Because when I die, you all die with me. How many of you were in Christ on that cross? Just checking this theology class. I want to make sure you understand these things. You didn't just pray a sinner's prayer to get saved. You said, I am in Christ on that cross. I too am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me because I am crucified in Christ. So we were crucified in him, which means we were put to death on that cross along with everything we carried that makes life miserable. And so... When, when the scripture says, I love the scripture in Hebrews, the way the writers put it, Hebrews 7 verse 25 says, Therefore he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Uh, you know what's good news? How many of you, don't raise your hand on this one. I don't want to embarrass anybody. How many of you wish your prayer life was more consistent? <laughs> How many of you wish that you had more of a devotional life where you're connecting with God on a regular basis, then again, you don't have to raise your hands. You know, the Lord knows. Look, to set you free, first time I met Randy Clark, who's just a fantastic healing ministry, worldwide healing ministry, was at a pastor's conference, and asked for a show of hands about how many of you pastors, about a thousand of us in the room, how many of you pastors have a consistent life where you're in the word and in prayer on a a regular, if not daily basis? Then uh, maybe 10% of us raised our hands. So, you're, you're released on the one hand if your standard is, let me measure myself against everybody else. But I want to put on you right now that, that if you are not regularly in that place, man, what you're missing out on. What we miss out on. But I do have good news for you. Even when we've dropped the ball on making intercession for ourselves, 
Jesus has always been up there alive making intercession for us. That's how much he loves us. He's praying for us even when we forgot to pray for ourselves. He's praying for us even when we've run far, run fast from his presence. He is always living, always making intercession for all of us. And so because of that, what's he praying for right now? What is Jesus? You know, it's a great way to pray. If you don't know how to pray, start with the Lord's Prayer. Start with some scriptures that you read and then ask Jesus, what are you praying for me right now? That's a great way to begin. You know, the praying, the two or three gathered in my name. I'm in the midst of any two of you agree is touching anything. Well, how about you and Jesus agreeing in prayer on something? And so we pray and say, okay, Lord, I need right now to know what are you praying? Because you know better than I do. He's always alive to make intercession. What's he praying for? Paul summed it up when he prayed for the church. He said, I am again in travail. I'm in like birth pangs for all of you Galatians until Christ is fully formed in you. Until he that began a good work has seen it through to completion until the day of Jesus. There is always something at work that Jesus is up to in our hearts. And so the word salvation, how many of us are saved in this room? How many of us still need to be saved in this room? See, that was a trick question. I saw the half, like some of you raised it up high and then someone, well, I don't know, is he, he's trapping me again. If there is still something left from the kingdom of darkness that's alive in our heart, then we're still in need of his salvation. And all of us are going to need that salvation right up until that day, capital T, capital D, when he returns. There's going to be this ongoing work. That's what this phrase means. He's able to save to the uttermost. So salvation means an ongoing work of remaking us into the perfect image and likeness of God. We were made that way in the beginning. There was an introduction of evil and darkness into the world at that tree. And now we are being remade back into the image and the likeness of God. Now we never lost the image of God. Physically, we look like God would look if he had flesh on. How do we know that? Because when he put flesh on, he looked like a human. Jesus of Nazareth. We're made in his image and we've never lost that. Even those that don't know the Lord, those that are often some weird pagan sin, whatever kind of lifestyle like I used to be, they're still made in the image of God, but we're not very much like him, are we? So being remade into the likeness of God is when everything gets fully restored. That's what salvation's all about. That's this word salvation, which is sozo. Is my beard rubbing up against that or some art? Salvation or sozo, that's the Greek word for it, Patty preached a great word for the ages. You should go back and listen to it. Um, the, uh, I forget the title. It was something you don't you want a sozo or do you want a so-so salvation? It was a really good word. You should go back and listen to that. I don't remember when it was, but I've, I, Patty always has the best titles. I should just tell her what I'm going to preach and have her make a title for all the messages. Then it, they'd be much more interesting. But salvation means until every remnant of our life of slavery to sin is gone, there's something that's going to be at work on the inside of us. Salvation begins with the work of God and it ends with us cooperating with God for the rest of this journey. So there are moments of freedom, right? Somebody's being delivered from oppression right now, right here as I'm preaching and I'm loving it. Um, this is the best multitasking I've ever done because I'm celebrating in my spirit of what God's doing in, in that sweet sister right now. But I'm also excited because 
There is going to be a continual work going on in every one of us until that day. And for all of us, we now cooperate and collaborate with God. So I want to give you some keys about freedom, about how to stay free. How many of you have ever gotten free and then you fell right back into the same junk that you got free from? This all said every addict ever who had an encounter with God. And for a moment, you know, those, those moments, maybe it happens at the altar or during worship in the church. Maybe it happens just when you're, you know, ministering or, you know, you're with the Lord in some kind of a way. It may happen in a variety of different places or ways, but you have these moments where you're encountering God and it's just absolutely overwhelming and you feel like anything's possible. It's in those moments, like the day we got saved, how many of you promised God the day you got saved that you'd go anywhere for him? Right, you say, oh, I'll go to Africa, I'll go to Timbuktu, I'll go to anywhere, I'll go to uh, Antarctica, it, you know, I'll do anything for what you just did for me. And we, boom, because this is emotional, we feel like nothing is impossible, everything's been awesome, it's been made great, and we, we have these moments, but then comes the, the Monday morning Jesus, we call it. You ever go on a retreat and you're on this awesome spiritual high and then you come back and you're right back with your old friends and your family and all the, whatever things in life made you miserable, now you're in the middle of all that again. And there's got to be this way to sustain that movement, that thing that God did. We call them crisis moments. And crisis can be good or bad in the true meaning of the word. Like this moment of encounter, this moment where the power of God comes and does something there has got to be a way to maintain that. So over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to share some things about deliverance, some things about what it means to overcome addictions and strongholds and things like that. But today I want to lay a foundation by saying what Jesus said. So he looked at this crowd. It was John chapter 8. He'd just um, forgiven that woman who was caught in adultery. So now he's surrounded by all the usual miscreants, the religious people who couldn't understand him, never got what his heart was, and were mad that he did that, mad that he embarrassed them by forgiving this woman, and they all had to admit they were sinners too. And now he's looking at a crowd of people who were looking around, and he, he said to the Jews who believed in him. Now he's left with a group that just saw something amazing happen, and now they're here listening, leaning in. And, and this is the most quoted scripture in the Bible besides John three sixteen quoted by pagans and people who believe, have nothing to do with the name of Jesus. How many of you have ever heard, if you know the, the truth, the truth will set you free? Everybody said, right, the truth will set you free. My literature professor said that, the truth will set you free. I had no idea what the heck he was talking about. How is truth going to set me free? I know something now. How does that set me free? Knowledge is power, we say. But Jesus had something much deeper in mind than just knowing the truth because he laid something on us. If you continue in my word, then are you disciples of mine. There's an if. You know the promises of the Bible? You ever see one of those promise books? I, know, I think I've shared this before with you guys. I saw one when I was new in Christ, and it had all these scriptures that you could claim, you know, and say, I, you know, God promised me this. One of, them, <laughs> one of them said, and I will give them whiteness of teeth. That's an actual word. It's out of... Uh, I think it's out of Amos. I will give them whiteness of teeth. What it really means is that you're under siege and you have no food. And so your teeth are clean because you don't have meat between your teeth because you're starving to death. Anyway, context is important, but with the promises of God, many of them come with a, a key to that promise. 
So you want to know the truth and the truth will make you free. But there's an if to that, that if you continue in my word, here's your part. Here's you going to the bank and withdrawing something that belongs to you because it is laid up in heaven for you. It's in your account, but you can't access that unless you do the if. If I want my money, I have to go to Members First Bank in Halifax. I don't know if I should have said that publicly. (laughs) I have to go to my bank and I have to give a slip to the teller and say, I want some money out of my account. If I don't do that, the money sits, although it's mine, right? So if you continue in my word and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. So now these guys are all like, wait, 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 what do you mean free? We're freeborn citizens of Israel. I mean, we're hearing you, Jesus. We're listening to your preaching. They answered him and said, we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been enslaved by anyone. I mean, we've been free since we got out of Egypt 1,500 years ago. We're slaves to nobody. What do you mean make us free? How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus said, look, I'm saving you from a different kind of slavery. You think that all we're talking about is the Romans are over you or you got some oppression that somebody put on you, but I've got something deeper I'm going after. He answered them and he said, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave doesn't remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. How many of you were slaves to sin at one point? That's every hand. Whether we acknowledged it or not, here's the trick about slavery. Here's how the enemy does slavery to make us not even aware of the fact that we're bound. He gives us just enough room on those chains to move around. He gives us just enough. And one of my friends likened it. He was a, and it's a Franz Lippi. Some of you met him. I was driving around town praying when I was new in the area and we were praying together. And, and he said, I described one stronghold as it's like silken chains. You're always bound, but they feel smooth on your skin. And so you have certain motion. You can dance, you can move, you can go X amount of time, but it's like a dog on a leash. You get to the end of that leash and you find that's it. I can't go any further. So, one way of knowing where we still have bondage in our life, I'm going to use that, that's a biblical strong word, is what is something that you would do for God or with God? And for some reason, you just feel like something stops you from stepping out into that. You're ready to go for it, and then all of a sudden, something goes, like, let's take an easy one. You're here in church, you have a testimony, you have a prophetic word, you know it's bubbling up and it's, yeah, and, and then all of a sudden you look at that microphone and you think, I'm not getting up there in front of all those people. That's bondage. Something is preventing you from moving forward again. Anything that makes us unable to have righteousness, peace, and joy in our life, that's bondage. So these are the things that the Lord came to set us free from. How do we get set free from those things? Well, if the sun makes you free, you'll be free indeed. How many of you, before you really gave your life over to him, tried your best to be a good person? Most people do. Most people, even those ones you're mad at that you're looking on the television set right now that are rioting and whatnot, in their heart of hearts, they believe that they're doing righteousness. They are doing good. And, and many of us, you know, I had strongholds in my life. I had things I, I knew I shouldn't do. And I tried my best not to do them anymore. And then there I was not doing it again. It's like, you know, I'm not going to eat that chocolate cake. I'm not going to eat that chocolate cake. I'm eating that chocolate cake. <laughs> and it almost felt like 
the harder you try to get free from it, the more the thing grabs hold of you. Like one of those choke collars you can get for a dog. You know, and if they start yanking against it, the chain pulls tighter. It's like a, a noose around their neck. And that's exactly what it's like if you've been addicted to anything. That's exactly what it feels like. It's almost like the harder you try to get free, the more of a hold that thing has on you. So Jesus said, I'm not going to give you extra strong willpower to overcome all those things you want different in your life. No, no, no. I'm going to make you free. All you got to do is confess your need for a Savior. And I am right there with you. But from that day onward, then, we're going to cooperate with each other. We're going to go into this thing. So experiencing the power of the cross is to be a daily event, not just occasional sporadic power encounters, we would call them. Moments at the altar, moments of prayer, moments whether it's in your life group or whether you're here in a full gathering of the church. Not not wait for the next moment, the next conference, the next seminar, the next minister who's going to come and lay hands on me, and then I'm going to be free, and, and then, you know, hopefully... I'll stay free, but, but then you realize, no, the next time that minister comes, I need the same prayer over again. We're going to learn how to do this thing where we stay free, where we have the power of the cross available and we grab hold of it. We take that treasure in heavenly places and apply it to our lives on a daily basis. So being delivered from slavery requires help. If you're a slave, you're in chains, Except for a very small handful of successful slave revolts over the years, slaves remain slaves until somebody comes and sets them free. And we were all like that to sin, whether we acknowledged it or not, whether we just got accustomed to living within the boundaries of our slave chains, and we said, all right, this is good enough. Was there, is the book title called Good Enough is the Enemy of the Best or Good's the Enemy of the Best? I don't know what the book title is, but the saying should be, Good enough is not good enough. Good enough means we have made a peace treaty with an enemy whose only desire is to rob us of life and that more abundantly. That's what it means. So being delivered in the first place required that work on the cross, required us to apprehend it. Jesus had to get this thing started. Now we can stay as we were the day we were born again, or we could be saved to the uttermost by step by step, little by little, day by day, continuing to walk with him. That's discipleship. That's what every one of us in this house is called to be a disciple of Jesus. And everyone in this house is called to grow up and mature so that you can make disciples together with the fathers and mothers of the house. That's our goal for every saint who's part of Hillside, that one day you will not just be receiving. There's a season you need to receive. We were, we were hearing a testimony from a brother this morning, and I want to encourage you that there are times that you just need to get filled, and that's all that's the, required of you. And it is required of you. If you're empty, it is required of you that you access the presence of God and get filled again, because you're going to drive everybody crazy around you. If you stay empty and cranky, you know, you get spiritually angry. That's a thing. Spiritually angry. And you, you just, you know, you mean and, you know, you do all these things to the people around you. So when you need to be filled, confess that you need to be filled. And I'm going to go a step further with that. If you're a part of the body of Christ, which if you're a believer, you are a part of the body of Christ, and you never allow somebody to minister to you, then you're saying without words, I don't need you. I don't need you. We're saying if we never invite anybody in to our brokenness, to our areas that have yet to become kingdomized, 
that what we're saying is I'm the one part of the body who's the exception to what Paul said when he said there's no part of the body who can say to another, I have no need of you. But when we confess, hey, I need prayer right now. I'm really struggling. I've got depression sitting on my head right now, and I feel like I'm going to succumb to it if it stays the way it is. I've got, I'm anxious about this thing. Would you pray for me and help me see Jesus again in the middle of the circumstances bringing anxiety to me? All of those things is how we access that bank account. So, yeah, initially Jesus needed to set us free. But living as a freed son or daughter requires our participation with him. Are you guys okay today? Am I offending you? All right. I got one of you. (laughs) Continuing in his word. What does that mean? Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples and you know the truth and the truth will make you free. Continuing in his word means, first of all, knowing it. So I'm going to come after you again because I love you. The only time that you open this thing up is when you're here in church on Sunday morning, you don't know this word. You know about the word. There are so many podcasts, television shows, Twitter, Twitter, tweet, Tweety accounts, Twitter accounts. That, that you can follow, I'm trying to say, there is no limit on the amount of secondhand revelation that you can access out there today. Before you come to church on a Sunday morning, and I know some of you do this, You can listen to three or four awesome internationally renowned ministries and hear the message that that pastor or, you know, whatever apostles preaching that day. So by the time you come to church, you're all full and you're like, when's Steve going to be done? (laughs) I'm kidding. I don't think you do that. Do you? You don't do that. No, you don't. (laughs) There is the point is knowing the word secondhand is not knowing the word. Knowing the word is when you open this thing up for yourself And you begin to get revelation for your life out of this word. Not relying on somebody else to tell you what God's saying. Any prophet that we would ever have who's going to come to this church and lay hands on people has a mindset already. I learned it first from Doc Wilson, Phil Capuccio, other prophets that I've had in my life. That if we treat the word of the Lord coming through somebody else as if that's what I need to know what God's saying in my life, we've achieved a sad, sad situation in Christ. How many of you know how to hear the voice of God? There should be at least as many hands as were raised when you said that you were born again. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. Maybe we need to share, well, I'll share some things about that sometime soon. How to hear the voice of God? I'll tell you a simple answer right now. Trust the thing that you think was God and stop arguing with it. But that's, uh, that's I'll, I'll say it kinder and more fully when we get to that. But knowing the word, there are um, here, if you, you know, want, if you like what you hear here and like the teaching that you get, I've now taught about eight books of the Bible. They're recorded. You can go get the notes and that book and read through the book with me. It's recorded, so I won't be present with you, but you have access to me to ask any questions you want anytime. I've taught through the entire New Testament here as a survey class. If you want to get familiar with the New Testament and how do I read these books and what does that one mean and why was Paul mad at them and all of that, it's all laid out. A full course you could take, whole New Testament, study it. It'll take you a few weeks, but you'll at least be in the Word, knowing the Word. Take those scriptures. Every week there's at least a couple of scriptures that are preached from this pulpit no matter who's ministering. Take those scriptures and meditate on them through the week. Don't just take my word for it. Read what Jesus said. Read the whole of John chapter 8. 
Read the whole context of it and say, God, show me some things that I need so that I can live this life, so I can be more free and more like you at the end of it. I'm just, I'm giving you like, man, I could give you 30 more ways, but whatever it is, by all means necessary, get in the word, get in the word. Start memorizing some scripture. Take, take what, look how I study the word. I no longer, I don't try to read through the whole Bible in a year. I'm not that fast a reader and I, you know, how many of you, when you read sometimes and you're not into it, you keep turning the page, but you're not really reading anymore? You ever do that? Find yourself even a novel that you really like and you're like five pages. Wow, what just happened? How, who's dead? Why is he dead? Because you just kept flipping pages because your eyes are moving, but your brain's not engaged. So I just take a short passage of scripture and meditate on it. So most of what I preach here comes from, but from my own life too. I'm just going to chew on that thing that God's saying to me right now. And I don't, I'm, you know, what's the, is there a contest of some sort? Hey, I read through the whole Bible in a year. I mean, if you do it, that's great. I don't want to down that if God told you to try that. If you're new in Christ, don't start in Genesis and read your way through. Genesis is awesome. All Genesis is awesome. Genesis is an awesome book. Great stories, great promises, you know, creation and all the patriarchs and whatnot. Exodus is great. It's exciting. Hey, the Israelites are free from slavery and they're at Mount Sinai and all that. And then you go and you keep going. Then you get to Leviticus and you go, what the? <laughs> I mean, that's what I did. I was new in Christ. I didn't know any better. So I just started reading through from the beginning like it was a novel or something like that. And I hadn't had any teaching on what the sacrifices meant. I'm reading Leviticus going, wow, what did I just get into? So I skipped that book. <laughs> and I go, oh, this is getting a little more interesting. You know, when I just started the Gospels, read about Jesus, everything you need to know about God's in those Gospels, in the embodiment of Jesus. That was a long exhortation, wasn't it? I'm going to keep coming after you until I have a confidence that every one of us is in the Word, at least on a regular ba basis, if not daily. I want to hear from you what the Lord's saying to you. I love what some of you I know are reliable and I'll ask what's the Lord saying to you right now. Like when I do check-ins with people, I know I'm discipling or mentoring. I'll ask them, what's the Lord saying to you? Tell me what, you know, what scripture is coming alive to you right now? Or what revelation of his goodness are you, are you bathing in right now? What are you leaving behind because of the things he's showing you? What are the things that are out in front of you because of the things that he's showing you? But you got to know the word. If you continue in my word, then you will know the truth. Knowing the word's all well and good, but then we got to believe it. If you ever find yourself arguing with the Bible because you don't like what you just read, you have a stronghold. That's the definition of a stronghold. It exalts itself against the knowledge of God. More on that next week. Anytime we resist the revelation that comes through this scripture and we say, that can't be true. Number one answer is, what God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love and I've chosen you, that I chose you in Christ before I laid the foundation of the earth. I love you so much. I've left the 99 to come and follow. And our heart says, now there's no way that you love me like that. That is a stronghold, my friend. And I love you enough to call it out. Anytime we're arguing with the word of God, we, we believing this word is the next step after knowing it. Then here's the fun part. Then there's the doing of the word. Knowing it's great, believing it joins us together with the demons of hell who also believe the word. But doing the word is what differentiates us from everything else in all of God's creation. There's got to be action taken. So if it's been a while 
since the word of God, whether written on these pages or the word of God spoken to you, challenged you to do something different than the way you've been doing it, then I urge you to ponder the path of your feet and reconsider. Have I actually responded? Is Jesus actually Lord of all? Because, you know, somebody said, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. So when was the last time that Jesus challenged you? Step out and do something you've been uncomfortable with. Begin to do something that you didn't ever think you would be able to do before. Or something that, you know, there, there's some times, and this happens in all kinds of ministry, where somebody just so loves their sin that they don't want to let it go. I'll live all the rest of this way, but I'm going to hold on to this. This one's all mine, Jesus. Then you read a scripture and you just move on from it. No, believing the word, knowing the word means doing the word. Then you become his disciples. Disciples of Jesus, number one, learn from him with the intent of being changed. That's what, you know, of all the crowds of people that followed Jesus, he had no problem getting thousands to listen to him. Do a few miracles, feed them all with a couple of, you know, with a kid's happy meal, and, and, and bam, you got 5,000 people ready to listen. But only the ones who remained with him after he started preaching the hard things, they learned from him and they had the intent of being changed. Jesus famously looked at his 12 after all the crowds left because they didn't like what he just said. And he looked right at him and he said, how about you? Will you also leave me? <laughs> I love Jesus. He's such a New Yorker. He's like not only trying to block the back door so nobody leaves, he's like putting neon signs around it. Here's the way out. Nobody's going to be a prisoner in this kingdom. You will not be a slave, an unwilling slave to righteousness in my kingdom. You can leave anytime you want to. I love you and I hope you don't leave, but you can go anytime you want. And his disciples said, well, you got the words of life. Where else are we going to go? We're staying with you. We don't understand a dang thing you just said. Hopefully it'll make sense somewhere else down the road. Some of my favorite questions the apostles asked him were, can you explain that parable to us? Parable of the sower, it seems so obvious to us, right? But they're like, oh, we don't get it. But we're not going anywhere because obviously you got words of life and we're going to be changed when we hang out with you. That was the entire purpose and meaning of being the disciple of a rabbi. I'm going to be conformed to your image by the time you're finished with me. Disciples of Jesus stay with him. Even when he says things that they don't understand, even when he says things that they don't like, you can get mad at me all you want if I offend you and I say things up here. I try to stick as close as I can to the scriptures and maybe do a little explaining of them. But <laughs> uh, the conversations I've had with those who've gotten offended at many things that get preached are because I read a scripture straight up. How many of you know Jesus? One of Jesus' nicknames is the rock of offense. Sometimes his word is offensive. The gospel itself is offensive. Have you ever thought of this? The gospel message, the backdrop of the gospel message is basically your best will never be good enough. All of your righteousness compared to heaven's righteousness, it looks like filthy rags. Even when you think you're so good compared to the perfect purity of God and his son, you're, you're absolutely the filthiest sinner who could ever walk in the room. That's, the, that's, the, that's why there's no room for judgment in the body of Christ. Amen. There is no room for judgment because there is none righteous, no, not one. There's not a one who earned their way into this thing. So if we've already, and this is also why there's no room for offense. I've been offended by the rock of offense. Jesus said, in effect, Steve, you are rotten, filthy, and I love you. 
You don't bring anything of value to my table. You don't bring anything that we were lacking here in heaven when you came to the table. But I want you at my table because I love you and I miss you and I want you to be just like all of us here in heaven. That's the gospel. So if we've been offended by Jesus that way, what's anybody going to say to us that ought to remain an offense to us? I'll leave you with that thought. (laughs) Disciples of Jesus demonstrate their love by being faithful to his word. Jesus said at the last supper, he looked around the table at those apostles and he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Don't tell me you love me. Show me your love by doing what I've taught you to do. That will bring me pleasure forevermore. Just do what I've taught you to do. Live my way. Live this brand new living way out and that'll be all that I need. You'll know the truth then and the truth will make you free. That's a promise you can bank on, but it happens little by little, day by day with our patience and our perseverance. Let's repent of waiting for the next moment when somebody imparts something to us to set us free. All of us need that from time to time. But let's make a lifestyle of saying whom the sun sets free is really free. Why? Because I'm going to continue in his word and I'm going to be his disciple. And every day I'm going to be looking for that little bit of a change that I could make to become more Christ-like. That little bit of a thing that, that he's up to in me. I'm going to be patient. Do you know who we're most impatient with? Ourselves. How many of us, having repented for the thousandth time for the same thing, are ready to put words in the mouth of God because we know what he's going to say and we don't want to hear it. We want to put words in the mouth of God of that's it. I was ready 999 times for you to come, but that thousand, that's it. I'm out. I'm all out of patience. How many of you know all the fruits of the Spirit are God? It's just who he is. He's loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good, gentle, self-controlled, I think I got them all there. He's like that all the time. He doesn't run out of those things. So we've got to be patient with ourselves and be willing to say, I'll just take little by little. God, what are you working in me right now? What's the thing? And, and you know how we know? Because there's something that's irritating us. There's something that's bothering us going on in our life that's bringing out the worst in us. That, that's how we know. What You want a simple discipleship plan? I'm working on some resources and we'll have something soon for um you know for us to use for discipleship but and there's a process that things that we should know first before we move on to other things we move on to these other things first they don't make sense there, there's definitely a process to it but the easiest way to just would journey with god to walk with god is to say what's he doing right now today what's the issue of the heart that i'm finding is bubbling up I'm, I'm working next to somebody who's just this irascible, mean-spirited jerk. Maybe God's working on patience in me. Maybe God's stretching my love muscle a little bit more than what it was before. Because everything in me, although I know Jesus' love, I know that, that he is compassionate and he's gracious, but I'm not feeling very compassionate and gracious. Maybe, here's just obvious one-on-one discipleship, maybe that's what he's working on right now. And he's showing me my lack so that he could fill it with his fullness. That's discipleship. Persevering in it. Being patient means I'm going to persevere in this thing. Even if, you know, how many of you have ever driven cross country? Any truck drivers do that? Cross country trip, you've driven all the way across, 
like East Coast. I know Isla has, but that was fun. But I mean, East Coast to West Coast, I've seen just enough of the Midwest and West to know that like from the Mississippi River till you get to the mountains, that is boring. <laughs> when we did our RV trip a few years ago, we were thinking initially that we'd rent an RV here and drive it across. And then I started calculating how many hours I'd be behind the wheel driving, looking at wheat field, cornfield, <laughs> wheat field, cornfield. I said, yeah, nah. <laughs> we'll go fly in a plane and get to the interesting stuff. But discipleship is not, let me hop on a plane and skip over that part. Sometimes it's just plain old doing the last thing that God said to do and being faithful with it. I'm just going to be faithful. I'm going to persevere in this thing. And on the other end of it, all of a sudden we find out, hey, that one, I learned a lot along the way. I'm a whole different person. I'm ready for the thing now that I'm stepping into because I persevered by faith through all of that. And in all of it, Jesus said, if the Son shall make you free, then you'll be really free. In the end of it, we're going to look back and say, every time I strived, strove, stri uh, they both were strived, strove. Yeah, that was a lit major, I should know this. Every time I engaged in striving in my past, nothing happened except I wore myself out and probably all of my friends and I almost wore God out. And every time I said, I need you, it worked. Every time I confess, I am failing again at this thing that I want to do so well at, I need your help. Boom, there's an instant outpouring of the grace of God that enables us to persevere and finish the work. We let Jesus do the work. It's just that when we let Jesus do the work, the more we cooperate him, the easier it gets for us. This is where we determine how much joy in our journey we get. There's that old um, Footprints in the Sand poem. Remember that? That was like 1970s. I first heard it on America's Top 40 with Casey Kasem. <laughs> Somebody wrote a song to it. That's when I let you all remember that. No, you don't. Some of you are too young to remember that. Anyway, Footprints in the Sand, he got a vision. He was on the beach walking with the Lord. Scenes from his life flashing. You know, and the, here's the good times and all that. But then the man looked back and he got a little distressed because he saw that in the times when he was most troubled by life, going through the hardest seasons, there was only one set of footprints and one was his, one was the Lord's. So he looked at the Lord. He said, why would you leave me at the time I needed you most? And he said, son, I love you. I would never leave you. Those are the times I carried you, right? Then there's other times that were not included in the original poem where there are two streaks in the sand. That's where God took us kicking and screaming because <laughs> he wouldn't leave us like we were. He's just to drag us and he doesn't actually prefer to do that. So like uh, Leo Nert, great missionary, Eric Nert's father, he's the missions pastor of Christ community, he used to say, God will get you to where he wants you to go by the shortest route you're willing to travel. This is where our cooperation with him can make life easy or can make the Christian life feel miserable. I mean, there's a reason why some of the most miserable people on the planet are believers. And it's when we engage in this religious striving instead of a spirit of cooperating with the grace of God at work in us to do the thing that he's at work in right now, transforming us. So let's not be that guy. Let's be the ones who say, okay, Lord, let's do this thing.
My life is yours. Come and transform me. And let's do this thing that you're working on right now. And that's good enough for today. Let's stand to our feet. Can you just lay your hands on your own heart for a minute? Lord, we thank you that our lives are yours now and our lives will be yours forever. Thank you for bringing us this far. When we think back to what our life was like before we knew you, it just makes the hair on the back of our neck stand up to think what we would be like without you this day. So we first come with a spirit of thanksgiving for what you've already done in our lives. We give you a gift of a fresh surrender today that as you began this good work in us, we're gonna let you be faithful to complete it in us. We lay aside all religious striving right now where we've been trying in our own strength to overcome the darkness in our lives, trying to make the kingdom of heaven come to pass in a way that didn't invite your spirit's power to do so, the addictions, the, the anger, whatever, the things are that have been holding us back we say, Lord, we are in need of your salvation as much today as the day we first said yes to your, your invitation. And we invite you to come deeper into us. Lord, would you reveal to every heart what's the work you're doing right now? I pray you'd erase from our minds all the anxiety about, oh, there's so much more left for God to do to take a wretch like me and make him like the sun. Lord, would you remove from us the anxiety about those things? And just give us a spirit that says, today when we hear his voice, we'll not harden our hearts, but we'll soften our hearts and receive the work of grace that's happening right now. Make us easy to disciple, Lord. Make us, make us disciples that bring such joy to you, that you just laugh with and enjoy as we enjoy you. We'll be sure to give you all the thanks and praise as we go. Amen. Amen. I love you guys.